All right, so Jason, welcome to uh, the Acre Podcast, and uh, man, glad to have you. We'll just jump right into it. I know you got here like two seconds ago. Right, uh, right. <laughs> so there's not well, a lot of... Thank you so much for having me, man. This, this is going to be a, a fun time, man. So yeah, yeah. So essentially what we'll do, man, is just kind of wherever the conversation goes, let it go. Okay. Uh, but I know you have a lot of expertise in a lot of areas that I think a lot of people will be interested in. So I may, uh, may ask you some of that, but... Okay. Um, Anyway, man, let's just uh, to fill us in, kind of explain what your life is like. I mean, I know you're doing the Tennessee Mass Choir stuff, you're yeah. doing some studio stuff, so just, uh, you know, give us the rundown. Well, uh, of course, just like you said, um, Tennessee Mass Choir, that's the main thing that I'm doing right now. I'm the executive director of the choir, and um, but of course, you know, along with that comes the ability to work with a lot of different artists in different genres of music, you know, even with having a choir. Um, we've had uh, the opportunity to be on St. Paul and the Broken Bones, which is a huge, you know, blues kind of soulful yeah. band. Uh, we've had a chance to share the stage with Foreigner. Um, that's in rock music, Martina McBride, and country music. Um, right now, uh, we're working on um, an artist uh, from South Carolina. Now, this is a gospel artist. And um, let me see, who else did we have? I mean, it's it's just a whole host of things. And so... Really, right now, that's keeping us so busy in so many different genres of music. And, I mean, it's just been an amazing experience for so many different genres of music wanting to have that gospel choir sound uh, behind us. So um, so I've had the awesome task of fusing the two worlds, you know, between the gospel and rock, the gospel and, you know, country and all that. And... A lot of people been looking to me to, you know, kind of fuse those and and uh, kind of make a bridge. And I mean, it's it's been wonderful, man. Yeah, it I seems mean, like gospel yeah. can go with anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Have y'all made the foray into hip hop yet? No, not yet. Waiting not for the, the invite, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Now I do have a couple of friends that um, that's working on a record with Snoop Dogg, and he's doing some gospel stuff. Really? Yeah. Uh huh. So that, that's that's you pretty interesting. You a little opportunity yeah. there. Possibly. Man, Snoop Dogg still making records? Yes, he is, man. I mean, he's in the <laughs> studio right now as we speak. So Making a full feature record for him? Mm-hmm. Because well, I know yep. he's done some guest spots on right. some different things. Right, right. Man, that's funny. Yeah, I, dude, that brings me back to like sixth, seventh grade. Yeah, man. <laughs> Rocking out the, man, that old West Coast rap. Man, that's, I'm telling you, when, when I tell you, that's something that we grew up on, you know, yeah. well, really West Coast and East Coast rap. And man, I mean, those guys, now I will say, I mean, a lot of them are still around, like, you know, uh, Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, all them. Yeah. And uh, those guys are iconic in their craft, man. So, hey, you know. Yeah. Now, you, uh, now the Tennessee Mass Choir, I yeah. know there's a lot of history there, but yes. you, you guys have been nominated for a Grammy. Uh, not uh, not a Grammy. However, we've won a Premier Player Award that's been featured uh, by the Grammys. Now, so what's for, the difference? Well, uh, what the Premier Player Awards, you have uh, a lot of regional um, uh, Grammy type events and Grammy type sponsored, you know, uh, activities and things like that. And so, what a Premier Player Award is that was uh, sponsored by this region's Grammys organization. And so, we did win. One of those. Um, now, as far as uh, me, now I've been uh, nominated with a couple of projects that I produced or whatever. But uh, as the choir, we haven't been nominated on the you know worldwide scale of the Grammys as of yet. Gotcha. So it's coming though. It's coming. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, what were you nominated for? Well, um, I had uh, the best gospel choir for the University of Mississippi Gospel Choir. Um, this is the first 
choir, college choir to ever be nominated for a Grammy and to ever be um, signed to a major record label. And that was Malico Records. And so I was nominated for Wait, that. Wait, the University of Mississippi got signed yeah, to uh-huh. a record label? Yeah, to a record label, a major label. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm telling Well, and, and I'm telling you, man, it, it, was, um, it was just so surreal because that was even before I got involved with the organization. And so you get this call and, you know, hey, congratulations, you've been nominated for a Grammy. I'm like, what? You know, like, wow, man. You know, so you get a chance to go and everything. So they just call you. You don't get like an official golden letter. Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that comes after the fact. The golden whatever. letter. Yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, you do get the call first. And it's just, man, when, when I tell you, I was like, man, I was in tears. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that was amazing. Man. How long have you been in the music business? Well, um. I'll say this, I was born into it, but yeah. uh, just as far as operating as a professional, it's been over 20 plus years. What do you mean born into it? You know, uh, my family, uh, from my brothers to, well, of course, starting with my mother, um, my mother had the very first black gospel group here in the city of Memphis to be signed to a major record label. And that was uh, Savoy back in the day. And I'm not sure. Um, How uh, do you spell I, that? Uh, Savoy, I believe that's S uh, A V. O-Y. Okay. Uh-huh. Savoy. And um, and so uh, Willie Mitchell, of course, you know, that's an iconic name in, in music. He's the producer for Al Green and yeah. some of everyone. But he took the group on and began producing their records. And I'm telling you, they really skyrocketed. And um, and they got, you know, uh, picked up by a major label. But This I was said, your mom? Yeah, this was my mom. Wow. And so that's why I said, you know, Music was more so an endowment for me. You know, if I didn't do music, then I would would have been the black sheep of the family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So because <laughs> because everyone does music, and so how many siblings do you have? Uh, I have three other siblings. Uh, I have two brothers and one sister, and they're all um, musical. Yeah, all of them are musical. So everybody's in the scene. Oh yeah, man. I mean, what and, all that? What all them do? Well, uh, well, now my oldest brother, he's a pastor right now. However, he's a phenomenal musician. Uh, he and Kirk Whalem. They went to school together, so they were in the jazz band together, you know? <laughs> of yeah, course they were. Right, right. Yeah. That, that, I mean, and it was, uh, I'm, I'm telling you just some of, some of the stories that he used to tell and everything about it. I mean, man, it was, uh, it was incredible, but he's a, an amazing uh, pianist. My uh, sister, uh, Mignonette, she's um, in Dallas, Texas, and she's the minister of music of her church. Which one? Uh, um Oh man, I can't think of the name of the church. I I have to call her Naxa, but All right. yeah, but she's been the mu- minister of music, and of course, you know my brother Jackie. He's over here with us now, yeah. you know, at fellowship. <laughs> but I mean, Jackie is kind of like a chameleon. He can do all things. He's a, a bass player. He can play keys just as well as he plays bass and all that or whatever. Wow. And so. The guys toured all over the world, just like I have. So I mean, man, it's it's been an amazing experience. You know, like I said, just being a part of it, um, music. I was it was just an endowment for me. But um, as far as a professional, you know, like I said, um, I've been in it professionally over a little bit over twenty years now. So, did you ever do anything else for work? Um, well, I worked at FedEx. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, but that, that's just so I could have perks, so I could travel and uh, do music, so, yeah. right? So, oh man, I, I was just a ground service handler. So, okay. Yeah, I, I worked at FedEx, and I also worked at AirTran. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I, but you I just did, did these side gigs just so you could do some music. Yeah, just so I could do music, man. I mean, I, I worked for an airline, which I love that because I could fly for free. I mean, there were days yeah. where as soon as I got off work, I'd get on a plane and go to New York and do a gig and come back. So Just for free? <laughs> yeah, for free, man. What did you do for AirTran? Uh, just, just another, you know, ground service, just loading, you know, uh, you luggage. You get free flights? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. 
handle this kind of guys? Free, I'm, I'm telling you, so many of us, there would be people that will work a full day, then leave that uh, evening, catch a flight, and go wherever on vacation, then come back and get back to work or whatever. So it, it was so it was convenient, man. Dude, that's amazing. Oh yeah, it was. Those some it benefits was right there. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did that specifically for the benefits. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. So what allowed you to make the jump, kind of, mm-hmm. to be able to do full music? Um, with your job, I, well, I, I think um, I, I had the awesome opportunity. Uh, I was in college, and where at? At the University of Memphis. Well, I, I went to back then. It was Shelby State. Shelby State first. Now it's Southwest. Okay. And then I jumped from there and went to uh, Memphis State or whatever. And so during that time, while I was in college, I had a couple of different opportunities to go on tour and uh, tour with different artists, such as Glenn Jones and Tony Terry and all that. So. That afforded me the opportunity to kind of make that jump uh, going into the music industry, you know, just working with them. And then from that, um, I was working with a lot of different gospel artists, Kevin Davison and The Voices. I got a chance to work with the late James Moore. And Mm -hmm. all of this was the early part of the career. And so from that, you know, I just began to um, it was more so like a relationship thing. Um, I, I would do one project, meet some people, and they would want me to work on their project. So it just kind of, it was kind of like a, a trickle effect or whatever. And so I've been in it ever since. You know, I, I wasn't allowed to go back to a regular life. You know, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you never had the time. No, right, exactly. So, is the, you know, you always hear about the life of a musician. Yeah, you know, kind of chaotic, right, unscheduled. You know, you just kind of get a gig here and there. Right, right. Is that really what it's like? Well, um, can be. Well, well, put it like this: I'll say there's a difference in just gigging and having music as your career, you okay. know, and that there's a major difference. Now, you have some guys that that are satisfied with just the gigging and things like that, or whatever, and you know, so it could, it can be like that sometimes. Uh, for me, I knew this is what I, this is how I want to pay the bills, you know, and so with that, my whole focus changed. You know, I began to learn ab- about a little bit about everything about the music industry. I didn't want to just stop at the performance. You know, um, one thing I always say is God has really given me an ability to hear what music should sound like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really why I got into arranging and music production, you know, and and I always say now, you know, People always debate with me, but I say I arrange and produce better than I play. They're like, no, you do all of them equally. I'm like, man, no, I I can't, you know. (laughs) But but, but for me, you know, I arrange and produce better because, you know, that's a lot. That's a a lot of my focus goes into that. And so um, really to answer your question, you know, for me, I began to get more into songwriting arranging, learning the executive side of the, of the music industry and everything because I didn't want to just be one-dimensional because when you're just one-dimensional and only one the gig, unless you're an out-front artist, you're really at the mercy of the people that you work for. Right. Versus, you know, when you're behind the scenes, then you're really kind of calling the shots and you're, you're, the, you're a part of the, part of the moving parts hmm. and you help move the parts and you help move the industry along. Or you whatever. get a little bit more control. Exactly, exactly. And so that's really what I wanted to do. And I began doing that. At an early um, at an early stage of my career, and so it's just been that way ever since, you know. And yeah. um, I, I actually play as a side gig, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but but the main thing is I'm producing and arranging music, you know. That's my main thing. So so 
if somebody wants to work with Jason Clark, mm-hmm. do they they book the studio and then they you're just you come with the studio kind of as a producer? Or? Uh, well, how does all that work? Well, sometimes I do, um, but most times they will call me separately. You know, because, you know, every producer has its own, you know, their own flavor of their own style. Right. And so just like the studio where I work, uh, Nico Lears, uh, well, first of all, let me say he's like one of the best. I mean, he's he was like the godfather, you know, when when I first came into the scene because he was, he was already there. And, you know, it worked with so many different people like Wendy Moden and Puff Daddy and all kinds of stuff. Wow. And so he really kind of took me under his wing. And so. Um, but even, you know, he has... Is this Cotton Row? Yeah, at Cotton Cotton Row. And so he even has a a different feel, different flavor, and everything like that. And so when people come to the studio, uh, nine times out of ten, they'll have an an idea of exactly who they want to work with. and Because of a certain sound that these people get. Exactly right. And so so usually they'll, you know, reach out to me, and then I will bring them to the studio because, you know, that's where I am. And plus, they'll get a better deal working with me at the studio where I work at versus me coming to another studio or whatever, you know, um, instead of charging a certain price, I'd be able to give them a a little bit better deal there or whatever. So, yeah. What's the, uh, man, what is the future of the music industry looking like? Well, um, right now, uh, the cool thing is it seems like it's coming back full circle to people are starting to desire the real musician and the real singer, you know, um, what do you mean full circle? And and what I mean by that is back in the day when you had people, the big bands like Earth, Wind, and Fire and all those, those guys played and sang for real. You know, they yeah. were, I mean, real musicians, real singers. And I'm not saying uh, they're not real now, but we've gone through an era because of technology of perfection, you know, to the point where so many people piece together, you know, arrangements and piece together vocal parts and stuff and the real singer and the real musical, you know, the musical person was lost. You don't know in who the that perfection. is. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it was lost in the perfection because you hear all this perfect recording and then when you see him on stage, you're like, well, wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and is so, the real guy sick? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so what's happening now is the real musician and the real singers are starting to emerge once again, you know. And now you have, you know, records where, people are actually going into the studio again with full bands and everything. It's not just one person producing everything. Uh, you got people like, uh, excuse me, people like Bruno Mars and all those guys. I mean, those guys are taking it and, and going to the next level with it. Even in gospel, you have like Ty Tribbett and all those guys. Now, one thing I will say in gospel music, we've always kind of been that way. Yeah. You know, it's never really changed for us, but I'm just saying music as a whole is kind of going back to that and so now do you think that's happening well um i I think you know it's just like when you're eating dessert all the time you get sick of it you know what i'm saying (laughs) i mean it 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 could be you know when when you first taste it you're like ooh, ooh, ooh. you keep tasting it keep tasting you're like okay now it's making me sick a little bit i need something real you know (laughs) and so and so that's really what's happening right now it's like the desire for the realness, I mean, it's like the ear of the consumer is getting getting smarter once again. They're like, well, you know, I don't want to hear all that auto-tune and everything. I want to hear somebody real. And so, yeah. therefore, you have, you know, some of the real artists out there that are really doing it big. And I, I use Bruno Mars, for example, because everywhere he goes, he has that band with him. You know, band, right. real band, real singers, and he's a performer. You know what I mean? Uh, Beyonce does the same thing. And so... 
Um, it, it's just that desire to want that and to hear that that's coming back now yeah. or whatever. And so that that's that's a great thing. You know? Is there any well? <clears throat> is there any money left in music? Like when if somebody coming up, let's say you know they're sitting in their basement, right? They're the future John Mayer, right, right, or right, something like that. Right. You know, like is there any is there any money to be made in recording? Uh, there is. It's it shifted from where it used to be though. I mean, because the access is so great. You know, right. so many people can steal it and get it for free versus purchasing it. Uh, right. And and I think, you know, we, we're really, we've really gone away from the day where you have, you know, three, four, five, six different artists selling millions of units in records, not just right. a single. You see what I'm saying? But selling millions of units in records like Michael Jackson and Elvis and Prince and all <laughs> them used to do back in the day, I think that day is gone or whatever, you know. It's just gone. Like, a, just accept exactly. it. It's gone. Right, right. Because yeah. now what you can do, you can go on iTunes and you can form your own record by just purchasing, purchasing one single. Yeah. You know, you can purchase a single from this artist and that artist and that artist, which is cool. You don't even have to buy it. You can right, Apple right, Music it. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it, it changes the dynamic and so what happens now though is you know the level of performance and that's another reason why you're seeing the change in uh the artistry when it comes down to real musicians and real singers because now people are starting to figure out hey in order for for me to make money in music i have to tour you know what i mean and so right. you have to bring that sound to the stage now and so that's another reason why the sound is kind of going back to that uh, that original, you know, the realness of the musician and the realness of the singer and things like that. So, um, and now I, I still will say, you know, creatively, there's still some money to be made, but it is a little bit different than it used to be back in the day, you know. Yeah. A little different back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I remember somebody, I can't, it was somebody from the music industry told me that uh, Pharrell's song Happy mm -hmm. it was like the number one song that year or something. Right. It was like a big deal. So, right. If you combined his Spotify and his Apple Music mm -hmm. royalties from that, mm -hmm. he made like six thousand dollars. Right, exactly. That, that's right. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, it's not even pennies on a dollar. It's like half of a cent. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if one that, plays like a hundredth of a cent. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, like I said, it, it's just so different nowadays because of the access. That we have. And so, you know, right now, um, one one good thing about the Grammy organizations uh, organization, we have this thing called Grammys on the Hill, where there are a lot of things that we go and fight for uh, on Capitol Hill, you know, things such as streaming and them having to pay the musician and the songwriters and everything a, a standard royalty versus that hundredth of a cent. You know right. what I mean, and so um, so they're fighting for that right now, and hopefully um, we will be getting that change within the next five years or so. What will that look like? Oh man, I mean, it'll look like the industry that I mean used to be back in the day. You know, I mean, you have more accountability to the streaming companies. You see what I'm saying? I mean, okay. right now the streaming companies are getting over because they're taking the creativity of what someone may go into the studio and spend $100,000 on, and they're basically giving it away for a hundredth of a cent, you know. And so what that would look like is it's taking it back to the original uh, way of doing the music industry where they have to pay that royalty just like radio stations do, uh, where um, eight cent for every minute that a record is played, they have to pay that. You see what I'm saying? And so Eight cents? Uh-huh, eight, eight cent every, every minute. 
Mm-hmm. Every minute. <laughs> so if they play one of your songs, it's like 30, 40 cents. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Every time it's played. And imagine getting pay- played over a thousand radio stations over the country. I mean, it adds up, you know, right. per day, you know. And so uh, they're taking them back to that level of accountability of making sure that they, you know, honor the artists by giving them what they deserve, you know. But then, obviously, that cost gets transferred to the consumer. Um, well, yeah, yeah, right. right, exactly. So, I mean, fees would go up as far as listening. Exactly, that, right. that's right. I mean, you know, they, they would have to, they would have to thrive off of subscriptions now, okay. versus just going to Pandora and hearing it, you know, for free. You know, they would have to pay for an, a subscription to Pan, uh, Pandora or a subscription to YouTube or something like that or whatever. And so that's that's what's happening right now, right there. Now, a lot of people may end up getting upset about it, but at the same time. You know, just think about the working musician that's, right. you know, con- consistently creating. And, um, I mean, because music makes the world go round or right. whatever. And so, you know, uh, those guys, you know, all of us, we have to have, you know, uh, a somewhat uh, of a residual income to what we do because we spend so much creating it. You know, I mean, there's so much that goes into creating a song and recording and all that. I mean, money is always being spent. And so if you don't see that return off of it, it would discourage a whole lot of great musicians, you know, from coming out. And so we'll miss out on a lot of great music if it doesn't change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I was listening to an interview of uh, Drew Holcomb, mm-hmm. and uh, he had said, he was being asked about the music industry of today, and he said, there's never been a worse time to make a killing, mm-hmm. but he said, there's never been a better time to make a living. Mm. Mm, nice. So, like, you know, <laughs> right. people aren't just, right. like, rocking the... You right. know, multi-million dollar contracts anymore. That's right. But the whole playing field is open to make a living. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing I will say that's to the advantage of the musician producing everything is now we can take our music directly from the studio to the consumer versus having that middleman, you know. Who's the middleman? Who used to well, be the middleman? Well, well, the middleman would be the record label and everything like that. However, I will say this. Now, you still would have to have someone that would help you promote the records and things like that. But um, but now it's just straight from the studio, and once you get done with it, you can put it right on to iTunes. Right. And, and that's, one, uh, that's one major advantage uh, that I love about, you know, iTunes and some of the streaming things or whatever. You can get it straight out there to the consumer. You don't have to wait for the big record label and say, all right, uh, three or four months from now, that's when we're going to release your record. If you want to, <laughs> right. you know, if you want to just go ahead and be like, no, this is hot. I want to get it out next week. And you can go ahead and do that, you know. So what function today do record labels play? Um, very little because you have um, you have so many that are folding. However, well, now, now let me rephrase that. I'm not going to say very little. There's still many that has um, the distribution. You know what I mean? And so... But distribution isn't, I mean, almost yep. 100% of it online? Right, exactly. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Um, it, it, it has switched over, you know, but um, when it comes to, like, the distribution and things like that, there are still people out there that buy CDs, believe it or not, you know? <laughs> I mean, that, now, I can't tell you the Hold last on. time. What do you What are those? Uh, the last, I can't even, <laughs> right. I can't even tell you the last time I actually bought a physical CD, CD yeah. or whatever, but there are many <laughs> that are still out there. And so you still have, you know, your places like Walmart and uh, Target and all that that still carry yeah, records. Yeah, they still carry them. Right, right. And so, but 
But right now, that's pretty much the most of what record labels are doing. They're cutting like distribution deals and things. And um, also what they're doing is not only with distribution, but they're adding marketing to it. You see what I'm saying? And so okay. now so so now with the marketing now, even though of course we do have social media and all that, but a lot of them still have those relationships with the big conglomerates where they can feature you on bigger stages than you can do by yourself or whatever. And so meaning, hey, go open up for this act. Exactly, exactly. You know, they still have those type of connections. However, like I said, just from what it what it used to be, it's constantly getting smaller and smaller. You know, because, like I said, you know, just the fact of being artist and being a musician, you can get straight to that consumer. Right. You know, versus, like I said earlier, that middleman. But right now, you know, they still have a little hold on it as far as getting but on even those that's major going away. Yeah. Uh, well, well, put it like this. As long as we still have organizations like the Grammys and uh, even Dove Awards, Stella Awards and things like that, some of those organizations are trying to still feed into those majors because, you know, uh, one thing a lot of people don't realize, uh, the Grammys, we're shown in 180 different countries. You see what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> Literally. And so so a lot of times when you see these people winning Grammys and all that, the very next day their sales automatically shoot up. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, automatically. Oh, yeah. And so what comes along with that, of course, is that marketing distribution type thing where, you know, um, after that performance, they want to make sure everyone has it. You know, uh, everyone, uh, if you're in China, you're able to get it, you know, access it, whether on iTunes or if you want to go to a Chinese Walmart or whatever, you know, just however it is. And so, like I said, from that perspective, you still have um, you still have the record labels that are still around like that, but they're just not thriving as big as they used to be back in the day. You know, back in the day, it was all about getting signed. Oh, yeah. And right now, it's not all about that. You know like, what I mean? couple questions. One, mm-hmm. would you ever start a record label in today's climate? Um, I was, well, put it like this. I have a production label. Okay. You see what I'm saying? But uh, with my production label, even though it, it operates as a record label, it's basically more so the artists that I work with, just like, um, Tennessee Masquire, they're under my production label. Now, if I wanted to go and cut a deal with a Sony or a bigger record label, then that's fine. I can do a deal with them. But as far as just doing a straight out record label, I don't think I would do it or whatever. But even though a production label still kind of operates like that a little bit, you know. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. on the other side of that, if mm-hmm. you were an up and coming artist that had a little bit of a fan base, would you ever really want to sign with a record label? No. I wouldn't. I mean, because you can be successful, especially if you can take yourself on the road. Now, that's one of the keys. Uh, if you can take time and and budget your own, uh, set your own budget and say, okay, I want to do maybe like a 15-city tour or a 20-city tour. It doesn't have to be back-to-back or whatever. You know, you can spot date. You can say, all right, I want to take this weekend, do about three or four dates, then lay off a couple of weeks, take another weekend, do three, four dates or whatever. From that perspective, if you tour and if you're able to get yourself out there, then yes, I would be like forego the record label. You do it on your own because there are so many artists that's been so successful at doing that. Uh, One in particular is the Dave Matthews Band. A lot of people don't even realize they weren't even signed to a record label for years and years. What, What they were doing, they were going and touring colleges. 
college right. camps. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and they I were, remember that. Yeah, exactly. They were building their fan base to the point they didn't even need a record label, and they're still selling records to this day or whatever. You see what I'm saying? And so you can do that, but you just have to commit to it. I think um, one thing that I always do just as a music you know, professional is I deglamorize the music industry. And let them know, hey, if you get into this, you got to be prepared to grind <laughs> every grind. single day. Yeah, every single day. I've been in it over 20 years, and I'm still getting up every single morning grinding. You know, I mean, I'm not on easy street right now. You know, I'm still working. And so it's a grind to go out there. But if you work the grind, then it'll pay off, you know, just like anything else that you do, you know. So if you have this sort of like the administrative kind of self-starter entrepreneurial skills, you don't need the record label anymore. No, no. Uh, no, no, you you got it, and 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 of course, if you have a little financial backing too, that would help tremendously. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm telling you that you know, for a lot of people that have that knowledge and everything, a lot of times the financial backing is the difference maker. Okay, know? so what is that? An investor? Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, okay, I mean, so you, you have you, there are many people, whether if it's the doctors, lawyers, and all that. Um, matter of fact, I have a good friend of mine that's a medical doctor, and. <clears throat> He does that for his profession. But, <clears throat> excuse me, if he had the choice to do music full time, he would do it. And so, but he doesn't have that choice right now. So what he does, he takes time and invests in different artists and in different projects. And sometimes whenever he can get to the studio, he'll go there. But, I mean, there are so many people that are around that are like that, that are looking at, you know, looking to invest into artists and things like that. Because so. can they still get a return? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, uh, there's so much, you know, and, and this is kind of shifting gears just a little bit. There are so many different ways that you can make money through music. You don't have to just shoot for radio. I mean, there are movies, there are television shows, sitcoms, there are uh, commercials and Getting all kinds. That, that's right. And and so that's why, you know, that's one thing at the beginning of the conversation. That's why I said there's a, there's a difference in just gigging and having music as your career. You know, if you have it as your career, then you know you have to diversify. You know, I mean, for me, I, I think I have my music involved in about 10 different things right now. You know, I mean, from I've done commercials, I've done stage plays, I've done um, uh, sitcoms. I I even uh, worked with Kirk Whalum uh, a couple of years back on a documentary that he produced musically and things like that. And so there are, certain, there are so many avenues that you can take your music to. You don't have to just say, all right, I need to make a song. I need to get this song on the radio and radio has to play it. And I have to do that. It's, it's more than just that one lane. You know, you can go in a whole lot of different lanes. Is radio still a big money? Uh, commercial radio is. What do you mean by that? Well, um, see, when, when it comes to commercial radio, well, let me say this. First of all, radio, when it comes to commercially, it's not about music. It's about advertising, you know, and most people right. don't know that, you right. know. And so what they do is they pull on the popular music to pull in more advertising uh, dollars or whatever. And so they would rather hear uh, Kirk Franklin versus a new artist sometimes. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if they're listening to Kirk Franklin and you get more of those, Kirk Franklin, Yolanda Adams, and all those, all the big wigs, Fred Hammond, then you're going to get more listeners. Then from the listeners, you have people that have businesses and all that, and they're like, hey, you know, I like this station. Maybe I'll, you know, spend some Advertise. money with them or whatever. And so um, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people don't think about is when it comes to commercial radio, uh, it's more about advertising dollars. Now, the difference in commercial radio 
and you having uh, just their internet stations is the fact that you have commercial radio that that reaches out. Uh, it, it covers a lot more ground, you know, when it comes to the the organic listener ver- versus not. There are so many different internet radio stations to the point that they get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Right. You see what I'm saying? So. Right. I don't necessarily go straight to the internet just to listen to the radio. Now I do use, you know, Pandora sometimes or whatever, you know, but uh, when it comes down to it though, you have a lot of people, you have more people that are riding constantly going to work and uh, coming from work constantly listen to that or whatever. And so uh, with the commercial radio, you know, there's so many people that, um, um, that, that are, you know, feeling like it's about the music, but it's not, it's more so about advertising dollars. So, you know, um, so, that's pretty much what we're looking at with that. So the days of a label finding some guy that was playing on a subway mm-hmm. and then grabbing him, signing him, right. turning him into an image that they have in their minds of who he is, mm-hmm. and then commercializing that image and putting all the music to him, giving him all that stuff, mm-hmm. and just making him sort of a vessel. For, that's over? No. Uh, no, it's it's still happening. It's still happening every day. You know, you still have... Labels that are signing people, you still have labels that are developing and everything. However, one thing that I will say is a lot of labels have gotten a little bit lazy because it's too, you know, they've learned that the return on what they would have to spend won't balance out. You know what I mean? And so what they what they're looking for, they're looking for more people like me. More, more of the ones that are that have the ability to develop an artist outside of them having to spend money, and what they're looking to do is team up with people like me and say, "Hey, okay, we have marketing and distribution. You have your artist. Let's team up and do that." You, you see, that's okay. more interesting to them versus just taking an artist and and developing them and doing all that. However, it's still happening. Still to this day, it's just not as prevalent as it was back in the day. You know, what about music videos? Mm-hmm. Those still drive revenue. Yeah, a- absolutely. Through yeah. YouTube plays and a- absolutely. Well, you know, um, well, one thing about it, you know, a lot of people still want to see visual. You know, I mean, they still, you know, especially if you have a good song, a lot of times they still want to see the action behind it. They want to see the storytelling and all that. And so, I mean, music videos still play a major role. Now you still have, you know, um, your your YouTubes and everything like that, that, you know, you can get paid off the revenue of YouTube. Now, it, it's still not how it used to be, you know, of course, back in the day, once again, but you can still get paid off of the revenue from uh, from YouTube and everything when you're making good music videos. And also that helps you with, you know, with your touring and everything, because, you know, we're in a social media driven society. Right. So, so the more that your video is shared and all that, more people, you know, you become more popular with people. And then once you're a tour, once you're touring, a lot of more people would be more willing to come and see you because they've seen you already, you know, perform and everything. So they want to see you live or whatever. So, yeah. How do, how do you uh, how do you exercise some of your um, uh, creative license in different settings between like, you know, you play church music and then. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be on Beale Street one yeah. night or, you know, those different uh, those different venues should. I mean, I know we've talked about this some before, how you approach those differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically when you go with your gospel music or mm-hmm. your CCM kind of stuff, right. I mean, do you have to sort of tone it down when you're doing that stuff? Well, well, not really. And, and the reason why is because of what I listen to. You, you see, I don't I don't limit 
myself to only gospel music or to only CCM. I listen to a whole lot of different genres of music. And so, and I've done that over 20 years. And so with that, because, because I know what the feel of what gospel should be. And then I know what the feel of country and everything like that should be. It's almost like I become that chameleon and I fit right into whatever it is that's needed. You see what right. I'm saying? And so it, it's not a thing where, you know, if I go to country music and I'm, I'm this gospel guy and I want to do all this stuff in country music, it, it's not really like that for me. It's like, okay, I know what's needed for this country song. So let me stay in this pocket and when it comes to something a little more fancy, I'm like, okay, this is what's needed for that. And so I'm able to um, branch out like that. And so that's pretty much how I do. Um, I always encourage musicians, producers, singers to listen to more than just one genre of music to expand your vo- vocabulary. You know, it's almost kind of, you know, um, just reading one book versus reading a dictionary. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, if you just read this one book, then that'll be your only perspective. But if you read the dictionary, then you'll learn a whole lot more and your vocabulary will become a little bit larger and you'll know a little bit more about that. And so I do that same thing with music. You know, I expand my vocabulary by listening to several different genres of music, you know. What's your favorite? Um, uh, movie soundtracks. Movie sa- like Yeah. Like Mo- cinematic? Yeah. Really? Yep. Yep, movie soundtrack. What's your favorite score? Uh, I don't. I really don't have a favorite score. Who's your uh, favorite composer? Um, well, you have John Williams. Uh, right. I mean, he's a uh, a beast, man. <laughs> uh, I, I'm serious. I would uh, never have guessed that. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> movie scores. Um, you have Marcus Miller. Marcus Miller is an amazing. He's amazing when it comes to movie scoring, as well as Stanley Clark as well. And see, a lot of times we look at them as jazz musicians, and those guys are some major composers. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so yeah, man. So yeah, I, I have a I have a whole list of guys. You know, but yeah, it's 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 movie soundtracks, and the reason being is because you know, when I listen to movie soundtracks, and even if I'm not even watching a movie. It, it ignites a certain mood in me. Oh, it's you emotional. Uh huh. Right. It, it's always emotional, so I can feel movie soundtracks. So I listen to more of that than anything. Yep. <laughs> what is your? Uh, <laughs> dude, that's yeah. That's funny. What is your uh, like your creative process look like? You're uh, still writing, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you pick a certain time of the day? Is there something, some sort of ritual you have to go through to kind of get to your sweet spot no uh it, i i write according to my emotions man uh, okay. uh um say for instance even if it's something in the news that that could be going on that that'll be a little upsetting and i'll just be like man you know let me go and write something or whatever you know and it'll, it'll be something that could possibly be dealing with peace or something that that I can express my anger into music or whatever it is. And so I don't necessarily have like a set time where I write or anything like that. I'm more so, more so like an emotional type arranger and writer and things like that. So that's, you know, pretty much how it comes about for me, you know. So when you get like when you do you just like get a get an idea in your head about like maybe a melody or something and then you just so, whip out something and record it real fast? Sometimes. Or? Yep, yep, sometimes I do. Uh um I'll say that process, it varies. You know, it, it varies for me. Um, you know, sometimes I'll just, it, it'll start out with a melody. Um, sometimes it could just be a phrase, a catchphrase that someone might say, might say or whatever, and then I put a melody to it or whatever, you know. And so it, it just, it, it varies. It really varies for me. Uh-huh. It varies for me. So mm-hmm. are you writing, are you composing movie scores? Not right now. But I, you have. Yeah, I have. I have. 
And, you know, I'll say when, when it comes to that, that's, that's one of the most, um, it's so fun because you can take time and, you know, and look into the screen or, or, you know, just take the emotion of what's going on and really kind of, you know, create it from that. Now, what, what was pretty unique about, um, when I was working with Kirk, um, Kirk had this guy one time, um, I forgot the name of this instrument that he was playing, but he was just, it, it was just this kind of like monotone sound that was kind of going throughout or whatever. And he wanted me to put it in time and everything. So I had to, you know, arrange that, but just this little monotone had so much emotion to it, man. Hmm. I was just like, man, man, what is that? I, I, and he could probably tell you uh, what 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 that uh, instrument was, but it was just kind of like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I had to put that in time, man. And I'm Did telling you, you uh, oh man, Did it, you redo? My, when when I tell you, <laughs> it, it 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 took a whole lot of work to do that or whatever. But I mean, just being able to do stuff like that, man. I mean, it's so inspiring, man. You know, um, I mean, it's it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah, it's incredible. So, um, where can people find you online? I mean, um, yeah. if people were well, one thing. So, I I always watch your Instagram, yeah. and uh, I sometimes get confused. I don't know if he's a musician or like a right. health addict. <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. But I mean, so what are what are some of the ways that people can go and kind of hear some of your stuff or see what you're doing? Okay, Tennessee Mass well, and all that. Well, well, um, on uh, my Instagram, it's it's Jason Clark. Okay. So at it's Jason Clark, I T S Jason Clark. So Jason Clark was taken, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> or maybe not. You just exactly. It's Jason Clark. Like it's Jason Clark. So I did that on uh, Twitter and Instagram and everything. Cool. But, but with the uh, Tennessee Mass Choir, you can find us at uh, the T N Mass Choir on on, um, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you could just type in the Tennessee Mass Choir on Facebook and everything, and uh, you can find us like that as well. Are y'all playing anywhere soon? Yeah. Um, next. Saturday, uh, we're going to be at Breath of Life Seven Day Adventist Church. Um, that's going to be at seven o'clock. Uh, we just got back from Jackson, Mississippi, uh, last week, and then um, a couple of weeks after that, uh, we're heading to Nashville uh, to um, perform with uh, Juanita Bynum. So wow. uh, yeah, she, she's going to be there. So I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing, man. How we, many people are in that choir? Well, right now we have eighty six active members. How do you tour with eighty six people? Well, well, you really don't. You know, it, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> everyone. You know, a lot of times everyone they're they're not able to go. You know, and so um, most times we'll take maybe about I say about a good fifty ish on still the road. Fifty. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, now, just like last week, uh, we had a fifty six passenger bus, so it was fifty five on its own there. So you know, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. Oh yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a task, man. <laughs> man. Well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. It was fun, man. Awesome, everybody. Jason Clark. Thank you. The man. Thank you. <laughs>